you know, we are supposed to live full, healthy lives, you know, for as long as we can. We don't have to just feel sicker and sicker and more tired and tired as we go along. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and I have brought back one of the guests that you absolutely loved. Dr. Wiggy is back today. Dr. Wiggy, you're becoming like the resident MD for on air with Ella. How do you feel about that? I love it. Glad to be part of it. I'm not even kidding because I have so many questions for you and it's hard to find an MD, a traditionally trained MD who actually has stepped into the integrative medicine world, functional medicine world, and really you bring both perspectives and Mm -hmm. such a robust perspective. Would you remind everybody, Dr. Wiggy, who you are? I'd be happy to. So yes. Hello, everybody. Dr. Wiggy here. So I am a MD, which Ella was saying that this is a uh, a little bit of a strange breed to be an MD, but also understand the integrative and the natural side uh, of medicine. So the way I kind of look at myself, I'm, I'm kind of the bridge between the alternative kind of natural medicine community and the traditional medical community. And I kind of bring all those things together, the best of uh, both worlds and practice what I call integrative or functional medicine. So we try and do things as naturally as possible. We do use medications if we absolutely need them. Really what we try and focus on is fixing the underlying problem. I think that's where a lot of times uh, medicine gets it wrong as opposed to just, you know, looking at symptoms and covering up those symptoms with medications. I really want to try and get back to the root cause of the problem, fix that. And then, you know, most of the times people feel amazing. One of your specialties, Dr. Wiggy, is the thyroid, like all things thyroid, right? That's right. Yeah. So that's probably what I'm most well known for is uh, is the thyroid and kind of everything related to that. Well, I'm going to open myself up and just absolutely subject myself to utter mockery because can I tell you, I don't think I even had ever said the word thyroid until <laughs> I started listening to podcasts. <laughs> like, hmm. like it's everywhere in podcast land. And oh, yeah. Like natural health land. Do you know it's, what I it's mean? It's all over the place. It's all over the place. And I think it's a good thing that we're doing this because you're right. It's all over the place. I think there is some good information, but there's also some misleading information out there. Well, you know, one thing I like to do is, first of all, I like to talk about things like I'm in third grade, right? You can do that. <laughs> Thank you very much. And the other thing that I really love to do that me and my people we need is we need like thyroid one-on-one because I don't really understand how something that I never really heard about has now become like the source of all that ails you or like the secret to everything that's going wrong with you. And thyroid is what coconut oil is to the (laughs) nutrition world. Like if you have a problem, coconut oil will solve it. That's right. right? That's right. And if you have a problem, thyroid, yeah, fixing your thyroid will fix it. That's right. But now I'm starting to see that there actually might be just a little bit of truth in this. So today, It's just breaking it down, thyroid 101, maybe not third grade, maybe like sophomore year in high school. How's that sound? Okay, we can go somewhere between there. (laughs) All right. So first of all, Dr. Wiggy, what is the thyroid? Yeah, so the thyroid is the primary gland 
of the endocrine system. And it's related to all the other endocrine hormones, you know, all the other endocrine glands like the adrenal glands and the ovaries and the uh, testicles for men. But it is part of the endocrine system. And it's a little gland. It's a little butterfly-shaped gland that sits at the base of the neck. And it produces the thyroid hormones. And thyroid hormones are so important for so many different things. I honestly... I didn't really know where I sound like such an idiot. I'm not afraid though. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid to be honest. So small gland shaped like a butterfly located in the lower part of your neck. And the function of the gland is to secrete hormones. Is that like its main job? So yes, that's the primary role of the thyroid gland is to secrete the thyroid hormones. And it does so through what's called, (laughs) I'm trying to keep this simple, (laughs) uh, through the, uh, it's called the hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axis. So basically what it is, is that when the body senses that there's not enough thyroid hormone around, the brain will start releasing some signals to go down to the thyroid and the thyroid will start producing more thyroid hormone. Okay. And what are some of those thyroid hormones? Yeah. So that's a good question. So again, this is not actually the basics for thyroid because most people don't realize that there are multiple kinds of thyroid hormones that are produced. And a lot of times people just say, well, yeah, it's the thyroid hormone and and they kind of lump all these things together. But the truth is there are multiple types of thyroid hormones and they're kind of broken down. They're given numbers. So there's T1, T2, T3, T4. Those are the the four main thyroid hormones that are produced. T1 and T2, not a lot of biological activity, so not a lot of research is done on those. There's only a very small percentage of the thyroid hormone is produced are are T1 or T2. But T3 and T4, those are the big ones. Those are the most important ones. Okay, I've heard about those in podcast land, Dr. Wiggy. In just the most basic terms, why are T3 and T4 important? The thyroid really is, you know, you kind of joked about it, about this is kind of the, the new buzzword in kind of podcast land. You know, the truth is almost all of our organs and tissues have some form of thyroid receptors on them. So thyroid, you know, T4 and T3, they're really important for, for the brain. Uh, They're important for the heart, for the muscles. They're important for all of our organ systems. And like I said, if your levels are are not where they should be, you're going to have a wide variety of symptoms. So I know that you can have underactive thyroid and overactive Mm -hmm. thyroid. Is that what you're talking about now or is it something else? Yeah. So, you know, again, thyroid dysfunction can go kind of one of two ways. It can go where there's too much thyroid hormone around and that's called hyperthyroid. Or it can be the other way around where there's not enough thyroid around and that's hypothyroid. Hyperthyroid too much is generally less common than hypothyroid or not enough thyroid hormone around. Um, And so I tend to see a lot more people with the hypothyroid side. Okay, so let's break down what those are. Okay. What is overactive thyroid? And then we'll talk a little bit more in depth about underactive thyroid. Yeah, and like we could do podcasts on both of these, but an overactive thyroid, again, that is what's called hyperthyroid. And what happens with that, there are a few reasons why the thyroid hormone could start producing too much of those thyroid hormones, you know, the T4 and the T3. And that could be related to uh, like an infection as possible that can cause it to start producing too much. But usually what happens is if there is an autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland, that actually starts stimulating the thyroid gland to start producing too much thyroid hormone. And then you get high levels of T4 and T3. And then you actually tend to feel really kind of wired and uh, kind of almost a little bit of uh, a little wired and feeling anxious and have trouble sleeping and have heart racing. 
So those are the symptoms that you can develop when you have too much thyroid hormone around. Okay. And so that's hyper, right? That's hyper. That's right. Okay. So the one that we definitely hear more about, and did you say it's more common is hypothyroidism? That's right. So, so hypothyroid is much more common than hyperthyroid. Again, both are major problems, but you do address both of them pretty distinctly and pretty differently. The hypothyroid, again, that's where most people are spending, you know, a lot of their uh, effort and their attention on is because it is so much more common. And we see a lot more people, again, complaining of the symptoms of hypothyroid, again, versus the hyperthyroid. Now, the hypothyroid symptoms, those are the ones that um, I think I was starting to touch on. But those include a couple of the major things. And, and these are somewhat, um, somewhat generic symptoms. But again, they can be tied to low-functioning thyroid. And the symptoms include uh, being fatigued. You know, there's people that are just more tired than they think they should be. Uh, weight is actually a really common symptom as well, uh, whether it's just weight gain or an inability to lose weight. And then you also tend to have actually just kind of some weird um, physical symptoms. You tend to have um, kind of hair loss. You tend to have dry skin. Um, you tend to have, again, more of the uh, kind of a bloated uh, feeling, a bloated look to you. Uh, so again, there's, there's a lot of things that this affects, but the hypothyroid, again, because it affects so many different tissues, you can have so many different symptoms. Okay. That makes sense. And yet this is the one that's just all over the place, you know, underactive thyroid, hypothyroidism. And here right. are some things that I hear about it. And you tell me if this is missing the mark or whether it's just like internet wisdom or whatever. Okay. So you said unexplained weight gain or just an inability to lose weight, which maybe didn't characterize your life previously. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. So again, a good way to think about this from an analogy standpoint is to think of the thyroid kind of like the, uh, I guess, the gas that kind of runs the engine. So when your engine is revved up really hot, you know, running really fast, that's an overactive thyroid. And that's when you're going to begin burning through all that gas. You're going to be burning fat. But when, you're, when your engine is underactive and when it's not running efficiently, that's when things slow down and that's when you can actually start putting on weight or you're just not able to burn the weight because, again, the engine is not on and so it's not burning through that fuel. Okay, okay. So it's more it's sluggish? That's right. So, yeah, a good way to think about it, again, is being sluggish metabolism. Everything slows down when you don't have enough thyroid hormone around. So, again, if you wanted to, to make the distinction, the hyperthyroid, everything is turned up. So everything is faster. You know, you're more anxious because your nervous system is too, too fast. You're, uh, you tend to have heart racing because your heart is, is being too fast. You tend to actually lose weight because your metabolism is too fast. Again, on the flip side of that, hypothyroidism is when everything is too slow. So you, everything, you actually just tend to feel like you're in slow motion all the time. So you just feel sluggish. Uh, you have a tough time getting up in the morning. Again, your heart rate can actually be slow. So you actually can have a, what's called bradycardia where you have a slower heart rate. Your uh, metabolism is slower. So that way you can again, have that weight gain or inability to lose weight. And even like your temperature regulation is lower. So you tend to have uh, a cold intolerance. And actually your, your basal body temperature also tends to be lower. Okay, I hear that a lot. Cold hands, cold feet, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> cold hands, cold feet, those are the most common places. But actually, one thing that's kind of interesting, um, a, a pretty specific area of the body that tends to be related to temperature in thyroid issues is actually the, the butt. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But if cold you ask butt? a cold butt, <laughs> yeah, if, you, if someone tells me, yeah, my, my butt is freezing, 
I'm almost all I'm convinced that it's a thyroid problem until proven otherwise. But yeah, it's so funny because like a lot of times we have a uh, partners come in or husbands and wives come in and they like, and when I ask that question, they will just start either laughing or they will look at them with like a grin because their their behind is very chilly. Oh my gosh, that's funny. What about like a puffiness in your face? Yeah. So again, you do tend to ha- to hold on to, to water when your thyroid is is low because it also tends to help with um, a bit of a diuretic effect. So a lot of times people do have a bit of a puffy appearance. I mean, that, that's kind of the best way to to look at uh, to think about it. And the face is one of the places that tends to be affected more so than other places. So it is, yeah, a little more of a rounder, fuller, puffier face. And I have heard too that I don't know if there's any truth to this, but puffy eyes and thinning eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. True? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those those are pretty common symptoms. You know, what's interesting is that the more you do this and the more that you see patients that are having these these problems, a lot of times I can walk into the room, take a look at them. And within five seconds, I have a good indication of whether or not they have something going on with them or not. Because if I walk in the room, you know, their their hair's thinning, uh, they're overweight. They have a, a kind of puffy face, puffy eyes. Their eyebrows are thinning then that has to be at least somewhat related to the thyroid because, again, nothing else is going to cause all those multitude of symptoms and physical characteristics. Well, you know what's funny? First of all, I want to just acknowledge that if you listen to too many podcasts or if you read too much, you can start to feel like you have every disease under the sun or that you're susceptible to all of this. But the truth is that this is actually quite pervasive and useful to know what it is because a lot of people have this, and you know what they call it, Dr. Wiggy? They call it aging. (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and unfortunately, a lot of doctors call it aging or they call it depression. Yeah. And I hate that because this which, is actually quite fixable and yeah, addressable. It's, it is. It's really unfortunate because, again, a lot of times people go in with those complaints, you know, being tired, being sleepy, you know, gaining weight, lack of interest of things. And they'll be like, OK, well, you're depressed. Let's put you on an antidepressant. And of course, it doesn't fix the problem. People are just you know, a little more flatter than they used to be, but all their symptoms are still there. So yes, it is a major problem. You know, I think there's been different studies done out there. And if you ask different doctors, they'll tell you different numbers. You know, some, some people say it's as low as like, you know, I think 5% of the population, but other doctors kind of more integratively minded doctors actually suggest it's up to like 60% of the population have some degree of thyroid dysfunction. Okay. Why do we get hypothyroidism like what causes an underactive thyroid that's a good question so there are a couple things that really seem to be a causative factor of a low functioning thyroid one of the things and i'm not sure if this is the most common but it is one of the more common things that can cause this is actually an autoimmune disease called hashimoto's just like the the hyperthyroid thyroid is an autoimmune attack on the thyroid causing it to speed up Mm-hmm. Hashimoto's is an autoimmune attack on the thyroid causing it to slow down. What is Hashimoto's? Hashimoto's, it is just the name for this autoimmune disease that affects the thyroid. But what it is, is again, it's an autoimmune disease. So what it is, is that our body is basically, the immune system is thinking that the thyroid should not be there. That's kind of the easiest oh way gosh. to think about it. And so it's actually sending immune cells to go and attack the thyroid and what it does, it slowly but surely destroys it so you don't produce as much as you should. Oh, my gosh. So how would you know whether you had something acute like Hashimoto's? 
Well, actually, Hashimoto's tends not to be real acute. This is a chronic disease that does happen over, again, it can be, can be more of an acute flare, but it tends to be something that people deal with over years. But one of the ways you can do it, and this is a relatively simple blood test, I like to look for anti-thyroid peroxidase antibodies, as well as anti-thyroglobulin antibodies. And I do believe that if anyone has the symptoms of hypothyroid, they should have the antibody levels checked because if they do have Hashimoto's, that does change management a little bit. Okay, so what do we ask our practitioner for exactly? So I, I think that they should be asking for those antibodies that I just mentioned, the anti-TPO antibodies and the anti-thyroglobulin antibodies. But again, that's not the only cause of low-functioning thyroid, so you should also be looking at the other thyroid levels. You know, we've been talking about the different thyroid hormones that the thyroid gland produces, the T4 and T3. And so what I do as well when I'm trying to, to do a look at a full picture of the thyroid is I also check, besides the thyroid antibodies, I also check T4 levels, the free T4 levels. I also check the free T3 levels because, again, those are the thyroid levels that are being produced. You'd want to know what those levels are. And then I also look for what's called a reverse T3, and that is kind of the, like, like the opposite of the T3. Okay, you know what I'm going to do? Because the easiest thing to do would be to just play back the last 10 seconds to your practitioner. <laughs> but I'll do one better than that. I will actually list each of those items oh, yeah. in the show notes so people can that'd see the verbiage and see what they can ask for from their practitioner. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd okay. be good. Unfortunately, though, unfortunately, what happens when you do go ask for these other labs, and this is just a little FYI for those listeners, is that a lot of times, again, as doctors, we are trained to just use one test. We're just used to, we're just trained to use the TSH test. So if you go in, if you've had a TSH done, or if you're complaining of symptoms of thyroid, you'll have, you'll have the TSH drawn. And if it's normal, they say you're fine and that there's no reason to do those other tests. But I do believe that that's a little bit short-sighted to not look at all the other labs because again, the more information we have, the better we're going to be able to identify if it is a problem or not. Okay. And so you've mentioned already that you can, through the results, determine whether or not it is Hashimoto's. What mm -hmm. if it's not? Then what is it? Is it just a general aggregation of, mm -hmm. you know, what happens to you as you get older? Like what we call aging is actually something that we can in fact deal with, but we don't know that we actually can still feel great. And we just take it for granted, I think, that you just start to deteriorate. So the point that I'm trying to make here is general malaise is not normal. That's not how no. we were designed. That's not what no. we were created for. And so we're supposed to feel amazing. And that's right. Like get, turning 30, 40, 50, 60 doesn't mean that you're not entitled to feel amazing anymore. So this may be one of the things that's worthwhile to pinpoint. Now, if it's not Hashimoto's, what do what do I, the patient, what do I ask? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I yeah. figure this out? Yeah. So that, again, that's, that's a good, and that's a, just a good point that you said about, you know, the normal body and the, the way that we normally age, it doesn't have to be, you know, basically getting sicker and sicker and tireder and tireder until you die. You know, that is unfortunately the life that a lot of people have kind of just come to accept, but that's not the way that, that we have to do it. You know, we are supposed to, to live full, healthy lives you know, for as long as we can, you know, until it's our time, until God calls us. Um, but like I said, we don't have to just feel sicker and sicker and more exactly. tired and tired as we go along. So that is a good point. Now, if it's not Hashimoto's, then, then it is a confluence of other things that could be affecting the thyroid. 
you know, the thyroid really is a pretty delicate gland. And I also kind of think about the thyroid gland as kind of like the canary in the coal mine to some degree. It's because if there are things in the body that are out of balance or that are potentially damaging, a lot of times a thyroid gland is affected first. So let's say that there's just, you know, one of the more common things is chronic stress. If we are under chronic stress and we have too much cortisol and too much, you know, epinephrine and norepinephrine, that does tend to put a little bit of strain on the thyroid gland and does tend to cause it to be a little bit, you know, it does tend to damage it over time. The other things that can affect the thyroid gland is that if, if there are too many toxins uh, in the environment, toxins in the, the food and the water and the air that we're breathing, that does tend to also impact the thyroid gland. So it is one of those things that there's probably multiple factors involved that are causing the thyroid to not work as well. But again, the key is, is to first to kind of stop that damage, but then also optimize the level. So, so then again, you feel like your old self again. Okay. So this is really, really interesting because what I hear you say, and you tell me if I've got this right, but what I'm hearing you say is that it's a little bit of a billboard for other things that might be going on in the body. Mm -hmm. And one of the first indications perhaps, or maybe not the first, but an indication that you've got something else going on. Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair. So, you know, again, yes, as we, as we get older, yes, our thyroid gland does not work as well as it should. And so as part of, yes, I guess you'd call it normal aging, you would expect to see a slight decline in the thyroid levels. But again, this shouldn't go from, let's say a, a, high end of the range to the low end of the range, you know, in a matter of months, if it is changing that drastically, that is really telling us that there is something else going on. Okay. So this is great because what I'm hearing you say is that no matter where we are on the spectrum, whether we're in our twenties, thirties, forties, or fifties, it's probably a good idea to think about how to support the thyroid or support thyroid health naturally much yep. in the same way we've talked about the liver in the past. So, oh, yeah. okay. So how can we support our thyroid? And before I move into that, so I just want to say, I will put more of the technical information and more of the science. And again, those tests that you mentioned, I will put that detail in the blog post. So at On Air with Ella, you can just go look at the show notes for this episode and you can sort of deep dive into that because I want you to have that at your disposal, but today is really just 101, like I said. So <laughs> this, this is 101, and it's and it's, there's still a lot of information. Is it hard for you to be like this simple about this? I am making you like completely <laughs> dumb this down, but I really appreciate it because no problem. We don't know, and a lot of times practitioners think we should know all of this, right, and we don't. Right. Like there's no place to get great information. Do you yeah, know and and no, and that's and that's and that's a good point because it is one of those things where it is so complicated. There's so many different things that are involved in thyroid health. And I do think that a lot of times doctors or even just friends or family members may kind of just assume that you know all these things. And these things are not just common knowledge there. You have to learn them. And again, you have to kind of go to reliable source in order to actually have a good background knowledge for what the thyroid is and what it does and, and kind of how it affects your health. How do we, no matter where we are in life, mm -hmm. how do we support thyroid health? Yeah, well, it's, it's a little it's a little more complicated than than just that, because it does, again, somewhat determine what is really affecting the thyroid? You know, again, as practicing any rate of medicine, we really try to address what the underlying cause is, right? Okay, that's fair. So, you know, we've talked about some of the things that can affect the thyroid. Uh, one of the things is, is Hashimoto's, and that is an autoimmune disease. So if someone has Hashimoto's, I do approach them a little bit differently. I'm going to be trying to address what is the cause of the immune system confusion. And, you know, the first place that we start for that is the gut. 
we could talk for hours on autoimmunity and immune system dysfunction, but we do see that there tends to be a correlation with Hashimoto's and with certain food sensitivities, such as gluten and dairy. So if there is Hashimoto's, I'd first I do a food allergy panel, but I'll also recommend for them to get off gluten and dairy, and then we'll monitor their antibody levels and see if they start to trend down. Gluten and dairy specifically, huh? Those seem to be the, the most important ones. It's interesting because, you know, I've treated, I don't know, thousands of patients with, uh, with thyroid problems and I have a lot of them with Hashimoto's. There is, you know, varying degrees of Hashimoto's. So some people have, you know, more of a mild case. Some people have more severe cases. Uh, but what's interesting in mild cases, particularly, if we can get them off gluten and dairy and they work on some other lifestyle changes, a lot of times their antibody levels will go back down to normal when they were abnormal to begin with. And I've seen this multiple times when we get people off gluten and dairy. In many cases, get immediate benefit from just dropping gluten and dairy for Hashimoto's. And would you say yeah. that that's true for a lot of thyroid conditions? Yeah, you know, it, it's not across the board. So, you know, I have some people that, that go off gluten and dairy and their antibody levels really do not change. But the people that I have been able to basically reverse their Hashimoto's, where again, they came in with high antibodies, mm -hmm. And then we, we uh, made a change and then their antibody levels went back down to normal. Those people went gluten and dairy free. I think almost all of them, maybe again, maybe there was a, a random person here and there, but the ones that do it, they're the ones that tend to have the best improvement in their antibody levels. Wow. I bet they think that you're just miraculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because that sounds so easy. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's not that easy going gluten and dairy free. I'm gluten and dairy free as well. And it's not, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but what's cool is that once you start doing this for patients and, you know, even in, let's say I see someone back in three months, a lot of times we'll see their antibody levels cut in half, you know? So if they were doing it for three months and then they see their antibody levels improve, that's enough information to them to say, okay, there's something to this. I need to, I need to keep it up. Oh, that would be really motivating. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's talk about the people who don't test positive for Hashimoto's or an autoimmune. What I think I'm understanding you to say, though, is that it doesn't have to be an autoimmune and you can still have a sluggish thyroid. Right. Right. Okay. So what is and that and how do you deal with it? Yeah. So that's that's where things get more complicated, because if it's Hashimoto's, that's fairly black and white. You know, yes, you have high antibodies or, or no, you don't. But when we're talking about, you know, a low functioning thyroid or a sluggish thyroid, that's where things get a little bit gray. Because, again, if you just go to a traditional physician and you're complaining of the symptoms, they are not going to diagnose you with hypothyroidism until your TSH is beyond the range, until your TSH is, is too high, actually. Mm -hmm. But the problem is I think that misses so many cases because there are people that have, let's say, even a, a TSH within the normal range, but their T3 is right at the very bottom of the range. And the T3 is the most important hormone for, again, for energy and for metabolism and for hair. And so if their T3, let's say, is around 2.5, three and the bottom range is 2.0, they're going to be having a lot of thyroid symptoms, even though they're technically still within the range. So that's where things get a little bit murkier about when do you actually make that call? But, you know, again, for me, if someone has a bunch of symptoms of low functioning thyroid, you know, they look like they have low functioning thyroid and their thyroid levels are low. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, that makes sense to say that, yeah, you have some degree of a suboptimal thyroid. Well, and I don't mean to be critical of an entire genre, but that to me is the difference between integrative health and just traditional care is that traditional care sometimes relies on 
just stats and well, yeah. an integrative physician's looking at the whole picture. Right. And, th- and that is that is the distinction. And, and of course, there's more distinctions than that. But it's kind of funny, you know, I think during my training, the one of my physician uh, friends that I was talking to kind of describes it as uh, being called euboxic, you being normal box being within the box. So if they're within the box, they're normal. And if they're without if they're not within the box, then they're then they're abnormal. And really kind of saying it's black and white. And I said, I just think that's such a, a such a limited view of the human body. Everyone is so unique and everyone has different needs and different thyroid levels and different symptoms. And just to say, OK, yeah, everyone that falls within this box is normal. Again, I think that's a little bit short sighted. What do you say to the person who does come in? They're a bit of a mystery because you're looking at their picture holistically and you're saying there's nothing particularly concrete or discreet that I can point at and say, this is your problem. But I mm-hmm. do identify a sluggish thyroid. What does that person go home and do differently? Well, you know, that's a good question. And I think it does depend on what degree of what degree of symptoms that we're dealing with and also what degree of um, thyroid levels are we talking about? Because the treatment can really range from let's just go and do some some natural thyroid support, and there are some some nutrients that we can do to help boost up the thyroid, you know, all the way up to actually using thyroid replacement and kind of monitoring them and see how they do. So I generally try and start things off more naturally if we can. But like I said, I'm also not I also don't like to withhold things from people that potentially could make a life changing difference to them. So, but if we're trying to just do things a little more naturally, you know, a lot of times what we'll do, we'll still clean up the diet. I still think for most people getting off inflammatory foods like gluten and dairy and the high processed, high sugar foods, mm-hmm. you know, those that are going to cause a big spike of blood sugar, big spike of insulin. I, t- I try to get at least the diet under control because again, that's going to help stabilize the thyroid. And then I do start giving, uh, again, depending on, on blood work, I do give some nutritional support to help kind of nourish and to get the thyroid functioning as well as, as well as it can. So a lot of times I look at other things besides just thyroid levels. So a lot of times I'll look at iron levels with the ferritin. I'll look at uh, magnesium levels. I'll look at selenium levels. Um, I'll look at uh, B12 levels. I'm trying to think what else I look at. You know, there, there's a handful of nutrients that I think that we can actually monitor in the blood. Uh, vitamin D levels, very important. Calcitriol levels are important. So Again, depending on what I, what I see in the blood work, a lot of times I'll kind of put together a thyroid support plan in order to get their thyroid functioning as well as it can. And a lot of times we, we, we do start off with that, see how the body does. Oh, yeah, another one is uh, is iodine. Again, we could do a whole another podcast on iodine deficiency. Let's do. Best way to test that, <laughs> um, best way to treat that. Again, very complicated. Iodine often is very important for nourishing the thyroid and helping it produce the, the thyroid hormone. So, again, depending on levels, I, I try to personalize each treatment plan for everybody. But those are some of the main nutrients that are necessary for optimal thyroid functioning. Okay. If I were going to be overly simplistic about this, yeah. I understand you're describing a thyroid support plan. And that makes good sense because you can do a blood test and test for iron levels, ferritin levels, yeah. B12, vitamin D. I get all of that. If somebody is not yet in the position to see a practitioner about this, but they generally want to attempt to address it, is it fair to say that it's not a horrible idea to maybe reach out to some more iron iron rich foods or iodine rich foods or selenium rich foods and that sort of thing? Or yeah. Is, is that just like, yeah, sure, take a shot in the dark, see what happens? Well, it, kind of, because, you know, it is tough to do this. I mean, the truth is it's tough to do this on your own. Yeah. Because if you start taking, let's say, iron, but your iron levels are fine, 
it's not going to help you, you know, or if you start taking some vitamin D and your vitamin D levels are fine, again, it's not going to help you. It's not really going to hurt you. You know, there's not really any harm with doing these things, but again, is it really going to, to provide you with the benefits that you need? So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if someone really wants to start doing something, I'd probably start with some of the basics. So again, clean up the diet. That's number one. Uh, I would probably do maybe just like a multivitamin that kind of covers your bases. I would probably do a fish oil. I'd probably do a vitamin D. Those are, those are some good basic ones. And I'd probably throw some selenium in there as well. Uh, but you do need to be careful with iodine. And that, thing, that is one that you, that you should probably, you should probably not go out and start taking right away is because there is some, some controversy about whether or not if you start taking iodine and you have Hashimoto's, that could potentially make that worse. So you do need to be oh, a little bit careful with iodine. Here's what I think is important about what you just said. A lot of us, and I'm entirely guilty, Dr. Wiggy, a lot of us are on a self-education path, right? Because honestly, yeah. no one else is telling us this stuff. Like we actually have to go out and try and figure it out on our own. And eventually that might lead us toward a more integrative practitioner. But mm -hmm. a lot of times we fumble around in the dark, maybe for a year or two, even before we oh, yeah. come into contact with the right resources. And so you've raised a really good point, because let me describe to you what I would do if I had heard this information a year ago. I would have okay. literally gone out. I would have bought <laughs> a multivitamin off the shelf somewhere and I would have beefed up my iron intake. I would have taken a separate iron supplement. I would have probably taken a B12 supplement. I would have researched selenium and been like, I'm going to eat four Brazil nuts a day because I need more selenium. And then right. I would have gone out and bought an iodine supplement because I heard it somewhere mm -hmm. and I would have been doing, and how do I know this? Because I've done it like a hundred times. And so, and so we try to just self-diagnose and self-treat right. and I am all about the information. I mean, that's why the show exists, right. but at the end of the day, you're making, you're kind of, you're kind of calling us out here and saying, <laughs> you know, you might want to get some data. <laughs> well, yes, the more data, the, the better. But, you know, I don't blame I don't blame you guys for, for doing that. You know, I think, unfortunately, a lot of times that's the necessity is that you have, you know, patients have to go and figure out these things on their own because their doctor is not helping them. As sad as that is, it, a lot of times, again, that is the truth. You know, they're having all these symptoms, so they're doing their own research They're They are trying to figure out why they are not feeling well. And so they are kind of just taking, you know, a shot with these things and seeing if it if it sticks and see if it makes a difference. So I understand, you know, your your thought process with going out, trying to kind of self-diagnose with these things. And like I said, I don't blame you. Like I said, I hear this day in and day out about people that are struggling. But I, I have to be honest with you, again, it's tough to do this on your own because, again, it's so much more complicated than just saying, go out and start taking these things, you really have to address again all of the underlying issues that are affecting the thyroid before you're really going to start noticing a big difference. Okay, that's a really good reminder. And I think that if there's a deeper insight here, it's that all hope is not lost here. 10 years ago, it was very difficult. It was far more difficult, I would argue, to be able to order your own labs or sort mm -hmm. of demand a specific test because you just didn't have that information. And now... Yeah we can actually figure out whether we're with the right practitioner because we can ask questions that maybe this conversation with you would generate, or maybe we know now what tests to ask for because we went on the website and printed them out or, you yeah. know, I mean, but that's how this stuff happens. That's how change happens. Maybe if we start taking more control, then mm -hmm. it will challenge our practitioners and or lead us to the correct practitioners for us who are actually willing to have the conversation. Yeah. And that's why, that's why these shows are so important. 
you're right. This is the way that we change the world. We, we kind of start from the ground up. This is more or less a grassroots effort because change happens when there's enough demand for it. You know, people are going and they're learning about these things and they're probably learning about these things probably more rapidly than even the, the physicians and the doctors are because, again, we're, we're, they're just so busy just with practice. So, again, the information is being presented out there. And that's why I love shows like this, because we reach a lot of people. I'm able to reach a lot more people when I do this podcast, as opposed to just into seeing my 10, 15, 20 patients a day. I'm able to really reach a lot, a lot broader audience. And that's what's needed is for people just to have the education. Well, we will end there because I can't think of a better way to wrap this up today and just tell you how grateful I am to you, Dr. Wiggy, that you're willing to put yourself out there and spend this time with us. It's enormously helpful. And you don't even know the impact that you have. That's the cool thing. Uh, well, that's very sweet. And I'm like I said, I'm glad, happy to be here. All right, Dr. Wiggy, until next time, iodine just went on the list, by the way, of things we will be talking <laughs> I about. I think we have a pretty long <laughs> list already. Keep adding to the list. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Wiggy. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply 